Cole Shack's Loop Podcast, Season 1, Episode 7. They have been, they are, they will be. Chicago? All right. I got to tell you, the last time I was in the loop, there was, oh, hey, listen, you know what we can do? You and I will sit down and have a long chat, okay? Sure. We'll rap about chai. Hello and welcome everybody to the Cole Shack's Loot Podcast, a fan podcast dedicated to Jeff Rice's infinitely loved by everybody on the planet Earth, Carl Cole Shack. My name is Robert. I'm here with my fearless co-host, Bradley. And uh, we we have already talked about this episode. It got kind of hot. Yeah, it, uh, it was, it was kind of heated. Yeah, it was man. almost like that uh, infrared vision. It could have, Colshack could have took a picture of that a mile away. <laughs> could have been outside my attic window <laughs> and he would have nailed me with no yeah, your problem at all. Yeah, your neighbor's the me. one with the telescope, right? That's uh yes old uh old uh, old, old X ray eyes. You know what, Bradley? Can you see X rays? Can I? Uh, yeah. Can no, you see X rays? But do you know they exist? Yeah. Ah, okay. I see. We've kind of linked the first episode with now this uh, third episode. So this is the third episode in the Cole Shack TV series. And uh, it is uh, it was originally titled UFO, but now it has this other long title. Honestly, Bradley, which one do you like better, <laughs> UFO or this con- this conjunction collaboration of whatever the heck? Well, that is? I've, I've had to write down all the titles for the shows, and this is the only one I'm like, wow, this is out of place. <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking. I mean, is it, is it, I, I, I need to find an origin for this. I've never really looked for it, but, um, like, what were they thinking? Like what, that, that should be the title <laughs> of the episode. What were we thinking by giving it this yeah, title? Um, oh, and that little laugh Robert did at the beginning, uh, I went to go level out my, my uh, I went to go turn my, <laughs> my volume back up on my phone because I run some stuff through my phone and uh, I blasted him with uh, the doors there. Uh, today's when we're recording is actually the 50th anniversary of Jim Morrison's death. And I, I had it playing earlier and <laughs> never turned it off. So th- that was it. Yeah, you got nailed with the doors <laughs> as as you're doing the intro. I'm, I apologize for that. I, uh, I, I'm okay with it, man. Because sometimes, Bradley, you just got to break on through to the other Man, side. That's a, that's a good place to start. And uh, I thought I would start this one off with some corrections from last week since I, I, I got a couple messages and comments on Facebook. Uh, it's going to be quick. So we, we did mention the strangling, but apparently Kolshak said that was one way to kill him and just, was to strangle him and put the white candles around him. And he did that on a little hub, hubcap. So... We didn't, we, I guess that slipped our, my memory that he said that specifically strangling him would kill him. Completely missed that. That's awesome though, that somebody got that. Yeah. I, so thank so, you. 
So somebody got that. that. I also mistakenly said that Vincent Price played in White Zombie, and it was Bella Lugosi because I I guess the goatee I thought of Vincent Price. So that was my bad. And then also lastly, I said John Carpenter when referring to Nightmare on Elm Street Four, which in fact it should have been Wes Craven. And in all actuality, Craven had nothing to do with with Nightmare on Elm Street Four either. He only did one three. And uh, and a new nightmare. So uh, this week I got to give myself this. Yeah. So sorry guys. I'll try to be better. Better next time. Was that from a game show? <laughs> yeah, that's from Price is Right. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. At least guys. got something. Well, I'm sorry I didn't notice those things. Um, it's kind of a you know for those of you who've ever watched people do a podcast and maybe we will actually put this out on YouTube at some point. But um, or if you have um, done podcasts yourself, you realize that when the other person's talking, you're paying attention, but you're also just kind of getting your next segment ready. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. As we so we do listen to each other, but we also kind of don't sometimes. So I apologize for missing some of that too. But I think we had already been talking about um, Bella Lugosi and Plan Nine from Outer Space. Yeah. And I think that was on your mind, and uh, at least it, or it should have been on your mind. But uh, hey, that's okay. No, 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 no problem there. Well, once again, Bradley, um, this show uh, is nearly 50 years old or already is 50 years old. And there isn't a whole lot of news about it. There there are things, though, that are going on in the Coal Shack world that we are finding out about um, on a regular basis because of people we're talking to and interacting with. And who, who is this guy that you found in the comics, Bradley, that you're really excited about? Yeah, so I've been in contact. I was reading, uh, I've got real behind on comics, but I started reading Philadelphia, which is sort of like a, I don't want to give too much away, but it's like a zomp. This guy comes back, you know, and he has to sort of deal with the the uh, the sins of his father. I think that's even like the title of the first little arc. And uh, there happens to be one uh, seersucker clad uh straw hat wearing reporter there uh who's there for a couple panels and i thought wait a second and turns out this guy i've been listening to interviews he was a cole shack fan when that, that was the first thing he mentioned when he talks about horror his first experience with vampires was cole shack the night stalker the original movie i thought that was so awesome. cool so i reached out to him i was like hey man you know long shot i reached out to him I said hey man i know that you, you've said that you've been a fan of cole shack would you want to come on the podcast? And then, sure enough, I got a. He said, "Hey, message me. Uh, here's the email to my assistant. Uh, send that over to him, and we'll work something out." So, uh, hey, if this don't age well, and his assistant don't get back to me, this may get pulled out. <laughs> but uh, for all intents and purposes, well, like now, uh, hey, it's looking good. I like it. I like it. Well, and the and the one thing I wanted to share was uh, a little postscript on our interview with Rich Haddam which um, Bradley's already gotten the first part of that out. And we're hearing some nice feedback from other people we've interviewed and also from other folks of how much they enjoyed uh, listening to all that. I know I personally, and I wish I could remember what part it was, doubled over and laughing so hard when I was out uh, on another um, laborious walk of my dog. But (laughs) I was listening to the podcast and uh, I mean, it was so funny. It was so good. So I really enjoyed it. And this, of course, would be the the Haddam podcast and even the one that we did about the zombie. I had another big belly laugh on that one, too. 
But um, specifically, I did a little uh, uh, tweet to Rich Haddam, Richard Haddam, and so so I've been um, binging to a certain extent on the show that Rich Haddam does and co-produces, and that is Titans. Um, not the other thing that I said earlier that we've edited out. Uh, so <laughs> it's it's Titans, and there is a jewel of a tribute to Kolshak in there. And uh, I pointed that out to him, and he uh, replied back and said, hey, you were the first person to ever point that out. So I was really thrilled that that was the case. And so I've got Bradley on a mission to try to find that. And uh, so if you have not checked out uh, HBO's Titans, and uh, it's, it's, I guess we could say it is the, the, um, the sidekicks of, and the children of, so to speak, of all the DC superheroes, you know, Robin yeah. and Wonder Woman's is, is, uh, Wonder is Girl. Donna Troy, is she, is she, wait, yeah, Wonder Girl, is she related to Wonder Woman or is she just a, uh, Amazonian? I think she's friend? from Theramaskia. Or is that how you say that place? Okay. I think she's from there as I well. I wouldn't even know. Yeah, I saw all that. So it has all those characters in it and a couple other ones that are really good. And, um, uh, so anyway, watch that. And if you were a Cole Shack fan, you will be pleased because it, it was a, a wonderful thing for me to see, and I was thrilled to see it. So, anywho, um, we've got this this show to talk about tonight, and I think Bradley, are we at the point where we want to do the uh, cast and crew? Yeah, we can do that, or we can do the TV guide segment of the week, and we can hear about some uh, of what happened. Well, yes, yeah, please do that. Please do that. This week, TV Guide's cover story profiles Jimmy Walker of Good Times. Good reading, TV Guide. <laughs> my my YouTube, damn YouTube. <laughs> so the, wish, whatever that was. I wish we could leave that in <laughs> because the. Lord. On my face. I'm sure I want to see again. I was like, are you kidding me? What are you playing? It but it ought it, it did that thing where it plays without stopping and yes. Uh, yes. So we this it's hilarious. Well and I obviously have another correction because I had no idea there was a Planet of the Apes show. TV series? Yes. Yeah, and I'm sorry I, I didn't say that to you. I didn't notice that, but I heard I heard it on the playback. And yeah, uh, there was an actual TV show. And that was what was playing. And I actually found a better TV guide site that actually indicated that because last week it just said Planet of the Apes. Uh, but this right. actually says Planet of the Apes TV show. The Trap was apparently on CBS at uh, 8 to 9. And the movie Bonnie and Clyde play from 9 to 11. So I think that was a 67 movie. Uh, Kodiak was on ABC. The $6, the $6 million man. Pilot Error. The Texas Wheelers, the accident. Of course, Texas Wheelers. That's, go check out Texas Wheelers. What? I just enjoyed that you almost said six dollar man. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're starting a off a uh, sequel. This is under siege. What was the other under? Is there another under siege? Is like three. Was there under siege three? This is this is under siege twenty. <laughs> That's uh, what this is. Of course, you're at your ten o'clock slot. Cole Shack, the Night Stalker. They have been. They are. They will be. And on NBC, you had Sanford and Son, the old brown eyes episode, Chico and the man, the old dog episode, the Rockford Files, 
the Countess, and up against Shack on NBC was Police Woman, warning all wives. I don't know what that is. I don't know what Police Woman is. So good stuff. Well, you don't know what Police Woman is? No. Is it was that a show? It was a it was a cop drama that starred the beautiful Angie Dickinson, and oh. she was the police woman. And I guess she was a, a detective. I don't think she was a uniform cop. Although there might be some scenes from that, and I don't remember much of it too because I was really, really young uh, when it when it came out. So if you've got to watch police, kind, of, kind of a big deal. So if you're if you got to watch Police Woman, Cole Shack, or The End of Bonnie and Clyde, which one are you watch? It's a good call. Um, I would watch Cole Shack. Okay. And then I would make sure that I still watch Angie Dickinson because she was very pretty. <laughs> You'll catch her during the hopefully do that thing where you flick back and forth during commercials. Dual, dual scream, something like that. I don't know. In 1974, wow, you're you're high. You know, speaking of Angie Dickinson, speaking of Cole Shack, let's get into that cast. That is going to be, and that's where the zombie's going to be, and that's where I'm going to be. Wait for me! Oh. I'm coming. Get back and back. I'm ready for anything. Thank you for that. Um, as you were playing that, I heard what I thought was some popping going on, like those people are shooting off fireworks again. <laughs> it was not. It was my cat making noise when I had my <laughs> earphones on. <laughs> Oh, thank goodness. Uh, you know, that's one thing I never understood with shooting fireworks. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not New Year's. Why are you shooting them at midnight? Well, it's it's not. And it's not the fourth. And I think I I think it has to do with alcohol, Bradley. I think there's a good <laughs> chance it has to do with that. Or as Charlie Sheen would say in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, drugs. That's why I'm here. <laughs> drugs. Okay. Um, could I impose upon you to read a few of these cast members for us? Yes, sir. So, of course, we talked about this as they have been, they are, they will be. Air date was September 27th, a great day. A lot of great things happened on September 27th, probably the best thing of all. Of course, it happened in 1993 when I was born, but this aired in 1974. Uh, <laughs> sorry for that, guys. Okay, smooth, 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 smooth. We have Darren McGavin as... Carl Cole Sheck, Simon Oakland as Tony Vincenzo, James Gregory as Captain Quill, Mary Wicks as Dr. Bess Weinstone, Marine Arthur as Woman Speaker, Dick Van Patten as Alfred Brindle, Jack Greenwich as Ron Updike, Carol Ann Susie as Monique Marmelstein, John Fielder as Gordy Spangler, Rudy Challenger as Stanley Waterman, Watermeyer, Phil Leeds as Howard Goff, Lynn Lesser as Crowley, Fritz Field, or it's Fritz Feld, isn't it? Fritz Feld as the waiter, Tony Rizzo as Leon Van Housen, Dennis McCarthy as the guard, and then a couple of uncredited people I wanted to note was Dick Emberg as radio announcer, Leota Richard as lecture guest, Edwin Rochelle as guard, and Sally Arnold as a reporter. This was directed by Alan Barron, produced by Cy Shermick, written by Rudolph Borchette and Dennis Clark, and this is based on the novel by one Jeff Ross. And then now, the, the best part of the whole the whole thing, unless you got something to say. Is this the other works part? Is this the, the other works part? part? Yeah. Well, I, I want to let you know, I'm going to hear what you have said, 
and I've boned up on a few of these too. Uh-oh. And I noticed that there were well, there were some omissions for some of these hey. people in the IMDb. Not in your not what no. you did. But if you got your stuff from IMDb or yep. other sources, there are some things that are omitted that I think are germane to what we would like to hear about. So Oh, do you I want me to what, do you want me to read this part or what, what would you like me to do? I can read do it, but if help? you've got something to contribute, man, I'll jump in. Any well, let me l- I'll tell you what, let me do James Gregory because okay. I've got some extra information about him. Perfect. So, J- so James Gregory uh, was in three episodes of Playhouse 90, including the Serling episode. A town was turned to dust. Two episodes of the Twilight Zone as a Confederate sergeant and an Air Force general. Uh, the Manchurian Candidate, Star Trek, The Outsider, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Night Gallery, and Miracle on 34th Street. So do you know which um, uh, Twilight Zone episode he played the Air Force General? Do you know what he was in or what Twilight Zone episode that was? Uh, I didn't write it down specifically, but was it the one where they, was it the first one? It was. It was, yeah. it was season one, episode one, Where Is Everybody? Yes. Which I think is kind of neat because this was the story in Kolshak about a UFO, mm-hmm. and this is about space travel, so to speak, in the, yeah. the Twilight Zone episode. The the other thing that I think is of note is that he played in an episode of Rod Serling's Western that was put out after the Twilight Zone ended, and I guess was in between the Twilight Zone and Night Gallery, and that was called The Loner. And he actually is in an episode of that. Now... One of our guests on the Twilight Zone podcast, uh, Entering the Fifth Dimension, Rick, has actually connected me with somebody. I haven't followed up with it yet. Has connected me with somebody who can get me the complete loner set um, that they have found in Europe or something like that. What? And so, yes, yes. And I've been sitting on that only because I just had my air conditioning replaced in my car, (laughs) among other things that I got going on. So I just wasn't ready to drop any more money on that. But yeah, that's I, I can't wait to see it. That's of course starring Lloyd Bridges, and it's a very kind of um, honestly, it's kind of like a pre Kung Fu with David Carradine, with the man who oh. walks around in the West and solves all these kind of social problems and issues. It makes me wonder, even again, if you're a Bruce Lee fan and you know the story oh, about Bruce Lee. how Kung Fu was taken away from Bruce Lee. Um, and he had this idea. I wonder if Bruce was even influenced by the Twilight Zone's The Loner. So you never know. But that's uh, that but was when the same you, time period, I saw yeah. James Gregory in that. He's got that incredible voice. The other one that you didn't put in, which I think is a really big one, is um, Barnaby Jones. Not excuse me, not Barnaby Jones. I knew I was going to get this wrong. Um, the the cop drama, the cop comedy that was on. And it had the the baseline and the, the music. Had Abe Vagoda in it. It had Ron Glass. I can't remember it. We'll have to find it eventually. So anyway, you do what you got to do. Thank you, Bradley. And now, of course, my dog is barking because fireworks are going off again. And it is truly 1.30 in the morning. Um, so Mary Wicks played in a variety of movies and television shows from the 1930s to the 1990s, uh, including White Christmas, Playhouse 90, 101 Dalmatians, MASH, Punky Brewster, and she was a judge on one of my favorite game shows of all time, and that would be Match Game, if I can. And the TV show was Barney Miller. Sorry, just thought of it. (laughs) 
Get ready to match the stars. Orson Bean. Brett Summers. Charles Nelson Riley. Mary Wicks. Richard Dawson. And Betty White. As we play the star-studded big money match game 76. 76. And now, here's the star of match game 76. Gotta run Gene Rivers. Sorry. Sorry about that, guys. I had to revel in match games. Man, I loved that as a kid, man. Love, I still love match games. I could watch that all day. You know who also, you know, also really loved that? Who? Howard, Howard Stern. He was just talking about that the other day. When he was growing up, he didn't really want to be a radio DJ. He wanted to be a game show host. And he loved Gene Rayburn, especially loved match game. And part of it was the fact that Rayburn had those super long, skinny, shafted um, microphones. Yes, he did, yeah. And, you know, had the little bass at the bottom of it. And uh, they, they were talking about that the other day. It was kind of hilarious. Please uh, continue, sir. Uh, Dick Van Patten was in Mike Hammer. I Dream of Jeannie. Uh, Spaceballs. Please, you must. You're the only ones that can save her. I'll give you anything. Did you hear me? Anything. Anything? Yes, anything. Okay, we'll do it for a million. A million? Oh, you're starting to fade here. We're losing picture, your highness. All right, all right, I'll pay it. Only find her, save her. All right, King, you just made a deal. One princess for one million space bucks. What's she driving? A brand new white Mercedes 2001 SEL limited edition. Moon roof, all leather interior. I got it at a very good price. I paid cash. My cousin, Prince Murray, has a dealership in the valley. He was very nice to me. I, man, I love space balls. Um, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, The Santa Trap, and a whole host of Weird Al, not the just shows and music videos. Uh, Phil Leeds was in The Monkees, Rosemary's Baby, a classic horror. Uh, silent movie, Three's Company, Frankenstein's Great Aunt, Great Aunt Tilly, Saturday the Fourteenth Strikes Back, and he is one of the ch- and he is the chief monk in History of the World Part One. My favorite Mel Brooks movie. Fritz Feld was in the 1970s The Golem and the Dancing Girl, the 1920s Golem, the 43 Phantom of the Opera, The Cat Man of Paris, Lost in Space, and he was the maitre d for the Roman Empire in History of the World Part One. Can I interrupt you just quickly? Go ahead. So, uh, Fritz Field, do you know what his trademark was? Uh, what it was his trademark? He did this. <clears throat> so, he oh. would put his mouth like that and he would There's the noise. Okay. But uh, that was his that was his thing. He would do that and he always seemingly would play like a, a waiter or a, a manager or something, a maitre d', something like that. There's a um, lot of people like this who end up like top cast. Oh, he's he, he would play it in all kinds of other shows. And then for Dick Van Patten, uh, we omitted one of his, actually his most successful shows that he was ever in. It was a show that he starred in, and it was called Eight is Enough. And it was a 1970s era um, family dramedy um, where he had eight children. And uh, that was the title of the show, though, Eight is Enough. Oh, I wonder if that's where didn't, was there a... Uh... Who's the guy? Martin. Uh, what's the guy's name? The gray-haired guy, comedian, plays banjo. Uh, Steve Martin. Steve Martin. It, didn't he have? Wasn't he in a uh, Cheaper by the Dozen, the original? Correct, but not necessarily the same franchise and same. Oh, I didn't know if setup. it was like. 
yeah, similar. No, okay. Little little different from that. But um, what you should know is that one of the sons that was in Eight is Enough eventually starred as a co-star in Charles in Charge. So do you remember the oh. the, the Ralph Macchio? Not Ralph Macchio. I'm sorry. Um, Scott Bayo. Yes. Or Bio, whatever. Scott Bayo. His his friend in that was actually one of the the children in Eight is Enough. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then Dick Edinburgh, uh, he was one of the greatest sports broadcasters of all time, uh, and he's probably most famous for calling UCLA games. And he actually, back before they had the play clock, they would just hold the ball for like 12 minutes. And he eventually, one time, I think he started singing "Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head," sang the whole song, or he hummed the whole song. And then he said, "Well, if they win the division this year, I'll sing it at midcourt." And so he ended up singing it at midcourt. Uh, but he called a lot of big games. Like here's and here's his his famous thing was the oh my oh my Martin touchdown oh my six five three pointer yes oh my but that's him and he was uncredited on this uh, but famous voice he was also and if you've heard announcers. Uh, the show pitch, Heaven Can Wait, and the Mr. 3000, the movie. Uh, Leota Richards was an extra in the Twilight Zone, Chamber of Horrors, Ritual of Evil, Hollywood Horror House, A Taste of Evil, Blackula, Scream Blackula, Scream, Young Frankenstein, and A Passenger on Airplane 1 and 2. Edwin Rochelle was in King Kong, Son of Kong, Zorro, one of my favorite shows growing up as a kid, Invisible Invaders, which we will talk about later this season in another capacity. The Twilight Zone, The Reluctant Astronaut in Star Trek. Sally Arnell was an extra in Abbott and Costello Go to Mars, The Black Sheep, and, the ep- and four episodes of The Twilight Zone and Airplane. And Lynn Lesser was in Playhouse 90, Mike Hammer, The Outer Limits, The Munsters, My Favorite Martian, The Outsider, The Ghostbusters. No, not that, Ghostbusters. We're the Ghostbusters. I'm Spencer. He's Tracy. I'm Bob. Someone's watching me, The Werewolf Reborn, and that's about it. He wasn't in anything else significant. Okie dokie. What about this, The Werewolf Reborn? That would be interesting. And I set you you up for that one, and you didn't get it. I set you up. Lynn Lesser. Uh, Let me me see if this rings a bell. (laughs) Where's your nurse? She left. need to get angry. Calm down. I am calm. Leo, I don't care for your demeanor. Demeanor? Oh, now you're just being difficult. What are you writing? So, oh. So, so he, did you get that? So he was, you, were pl- you were playing Uncle Leo. He is Uncle Leo in Seinfeld. Yes. Yes. And do you, do you know what line he has in this episode of Kolshak? It's okay. Yeah. It's it's lead ingots. Okay. Okay. And he says he says it a lot like uh, Uncle Leo says it. So. All right. Very good stuff. Where where's that put us next? I believe that puts us at the episode discussion. So Kolshak, why don't you intro us into that? I knew this one was more than just the biggest story of my life. It was the biggest story in the lives of everyone on this planet. I fought for the story, fought harder than ever before, because I knew it was more than news, much more. I felt people should know about it so they could be prepared when it happened again. If it's possible to be prepared for something like this. 
It began fairly quietly. Lincoln Park Zoo, Chicago, September 2nd, 5.30 a.m. Shanka, the zoo's prized cheetah, was expecting her morning feeding. It never came. It started for me on a day which is supposed to be one of my happiest, the day of the first game of the first World Series with the Cubs in 29 years. The day began badly. As soon as Updike took over as temporary sports editor, he began memorizing everything. Batting averages, bases stolen. He could tell you more about Hank Aaron and Sandy Koufax than you would want to know. But he forgot other things. All right, guys. Well, we're going to go ahead and do our um, episode summary. This, of course, comes from the amazing Mark DeWiziak, and who has given us permission to read through um, all the things that he's written in his various books about Kolshak. So here we go. Here's Mark's synopsis. The zoo's prized cheetah is missing the day before a panther disappeared. While covering another story, Carl Kolshak is thrown back by a powerful blast that also stops the police. The damage is extensive, but all that's missing from the scene is a stack of lead ingots. Adding to the puzzle in a series of thefts involving electrical equipment, missing animals, stolen ingots, unseen robbers, hurricane power winds, and electrical equipment. Nothing seems to fit, but Kolshak believes the mysteries but Kolshak believes the mysterious incidents are in some way connected. A guard is killed during the robbery of an electronics plant. Gordy the Ghoul sneaks a recording of the coroner's autopsy to Kolshak. And a strange substance is found at the sites of the murders and the thefts. Dr. Beth Weinstock, one of the zoo's veterinarians, tells Kolshak that the substance contains bone marrow and digestive acids. Sure enough, the coroner's report reveals that the human victims had their bone marrow extracted. The same is true for the dead animals. The murders and the disturbances are work of extraterrestrials. Chicago is being visited by temporarily stranded, unidentified flying objects. Bradley, at this point, are you upset that he is not talking at anything about the Chicago Cubs and the World Series? <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm going to send him a message tonight. Where's your editor? Angrily. Where's your editor? That Mark? his that that his that his book he released when I was two years old is doesn't mention go. the Cubs. The murders and the disturbances are the work of extraterrestrials. Chicago is being visited by temporarily stranded, unidentified flying objects. While at the planetarium, Kolchak is attacked by the unseen force. The aliens are there for a glimpse at the star charts. Knocked down by the wind force, Kolchak wildly snaps pictures, and the camera's flash seems to drive it away. It's not the light, however, it's the high-pitched whine of the battery recharging that so annoys the alien. Armed with this weapon, in quotes, Kolchak can protect himself as he sees the UFO leave Chicago for good. It's a contagious psychosis. Don't change. That's my theory, and I've checked it out with a few psychiatrists. There's a definite pattern to the killings. They seem to come in bunches. Hookers? Mostly. Some semi-pros. There was an Italian who specialized in flower girls. Speaking of that, I'm actually heading to a Braves game tomorrow, so hopefully uh, they don't have the same outcome that the Cubs do here. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the Cubs definitely today did not have a good outcome. That's for sure, too. Is that your, is, is that your pro team of choice? 
Yeah, just because that was always the closest baseball team to us. Yeah, I grew up a Cincinnati Reds fan, but you could be Cincinnati or St. Louis or the Cubs pretty much uh, with where we are in Louisville. So, uh, here we are, episode discussion. Um, I feel like they wouldn't be able to use live animals nowadays. <laughs> I feel like that would be something that was CG'd. That, that, the cheetah looks terrified. It did, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. I don't think they it could really. It really showed that at the very least, someone would, might have been. You can imagine them kind of coming at it, and the cheetah like responding to it. That wouldn't be a natural, uh, you know, reaction by a cheetah who is just being trained to act like that. I wouldn't think. No, but uh, that was the first thing to get. Of course, you have the whole exchange, him getting the tickets, and I and I took copious notes. Uh, and I don't know why I did a lot of research on the world series and the Cubs because this is baseball fascinates me. Uh, but the, of course their most recent is he said 29 years. That was correct. Their most recent had been 1945 and they lost to the Tigers in seven games. And they're and they're So that was their last since 1974 before 1974. That was their nearest to 1974. And since then they won the 2016 world series, of course, but before that their last world series win, of course, famously was in 1908. Uh, which was against the Tigers. Um, <coughs> ironically enough, in 1974, the Cubs finished 66 and 96. That was last in the NL East. And <laughs> in fact, this season they lost every game that every game. Uh, uh, let me read that. In fact, they lost every game this season on a day that Cole Shack aired. Um, so, and on September 13th, they actually lost in the 11th inning, bringing them to one and three, uh, which you're thinking, oh, so how did they win one? They had a double header, uh, that they ended up beating the St. St. Louis Cardinals and they were 13 and 14 on Fridays. <coughs> but anyway, that was all just, just, I was looking into, well, I wonder how they did on Fridays that Cole Shack aired and, you know, not too good, but I don't know what that, what that really means when they really didn't do that good in general. I, I can see it. I, I see your, your love for baseball coming through there. Um, I, I thought the thing that was pretty cool in those opening segments that we had, our opening, um, uh, what are we going to call them, scenes, was the way that Kolshak confronted Updike and, and talked about how he saved him from a roller derby um, athlete. Yes. And that she was 205 pounds of whatever it was, all muscle and had a chokehold on him and he could see the life of him draining out and he saved him from her. And, and it, it, it reminded me of, um, something very similar that happened when Kolshak was asked by Tony in the prior episode in zombie to say, can I have a, you know, a meeting with my, um, my coworker or go out to lunch yeah. and, and Kolchak's all defensive. And this is kind of the way that they structured this in episode three was for him to have this sort of tense, but funny uh, interaction with Updike. But then what was really neat then was when Tony came back and then kind of flipped the script on Kolchak. What would you think about that? Do you remember what it was like when Tony came in? There? Yeah. So he comes back to him and he's like, he has the world series ticket. He's like, Oh, I've got a story here. You wouldn't want to cover it. I can get somebody else on it. And I believe he gives it to Miss Marmelstein. He's going to give it to her about the zoo. And she goes, no, 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 no. I can get there and get there before the game's done. And he said, just don't let the press bus leave without me. And so he's like, oh, you know, you know how those press buses are. And then Kolshak heads out. And then you hear on the radio, of course, the first inning's done started by the time Kolshak's 
done meandering around. He's you know he's talked with the zookeepers, uh, and then you have that first scene after he scoops up some of that goop. He goes and talks to uh, uh, the the doctor there, and so did, uh, yeah, I think he what, did he get the goop out of the, the zoo? Yeah, he or what are you talking? Yeah, he gets it out of the zoo because and on the way you hear him yeah. talk, hear the radio where they're my grandpa fell in the goop off the so and so street and. And he goes, he gets right. the goop out of the zoo, and he goes right. talks to her, and uh, she, he's asking. And that's when he makes the call to about Dick Van Patten. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let me to, let, let me back up just just a second though, because I wanted to still focus on what Vincenzo said to get Carl to do it, and it was, you know, he just very expertly said, you know, that how many murders, or, no, I shouldn't say murders, but how many deaths had been occurring with the the various yeah. animals at the zoo. And, you know, and Carl then asked the couple questions a good reporter would ask mm-hmm. is like, well, isn't, isn't anybody following up on this? Isn't there any background? Wasn't there some deaths last week? Tony, no, no. Yeah. That was, he's like, wasn't there some deaths last week? He's like, yeah, yeah, there were, there were. Yeah. Yeah. You can absolutely see Simon Oakland play it. You know, that he's got one up on Carl this time. And last time I talked about Carl kind of got the win so to speak, in quotes, over Tony. But in this one, clearly Tony's the one, you know, pulling the strings on Carl on this. So I, I, that, that's what I just wanted to point out how much I Yeah, and that. this is sort of a non-sequitur show, but there's a little bit of sequiturness in it. I don't even know if that's the word. There's a little bit of crossover sometimes where, I guess the interplay there where, he, where you had talked about that, where Tony does do the reverse there. I mean, it, it sort of is a callback to the previous episode where he didn't originally. Yeah, in yeah, I don't know if it's it's. I'm mean, I'm agreeing with you. I don't know how to categorize it. Um, I knew I wanted to come up with a new word, non sequitization. Yeah, based on what you're saying. I'm just I'm just kidding. But um, I I I think what I'm pointing out in in the way I'm thinking about it is that the writers are kind of using this this formula to a certain extent. That's a very winning kind of formula. You know, you have the Kolshak doing the introduction, then he has the stuff that happens in the office, and there's where Rich Adam had pointed out this is where a lot of the comedy comes through oh, yeah. in the show. And uh, but then you also it's it's telling you information you really need to hear to understand what's going to happen next in the show. So I think all that's really good. But yeah, so then he goes to the the zoo, and then he's there talking to the scientist who is uh, examining the information there. What was, did you like some something about that particular scene, Bradley? She, she seemed to come off as she's holding her ground. He said, "Well, how'd that one do? Heart attack? How'd that one do? Heart attack? Heart attack? I think she said it three or four times." And then, of course, Carl's going to try to make calls and gets hung up on twice talking with the city, talking with the radio station. Yeah, you should you should know who was on your show. Yeah, I agree. And then he hangs up, and uh, right. And then they go into the whole the commies and the the, the the commies have all the pandas. They're actually raccoons. And then he's like, yeah, you probably, uh, they probably died of too much cholesterol. And he goes and, uh, <laughs> and then he goes and talks to, right. uh, the, the man on the, he tries to find the man on the street whose street had the goop on it. The supposedly bad pavement. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did you, did you, I know you're such a student of, and someone who, um, pays attention to the music, and the score that happens in these episodes. And I'm starting to pay attention to and kind of categorize <clears throat> um, the different scene transitions and the kind of music that is played. 
And in that scene where Carl jokes about the cholesterol, there's sort of that really soft tone jazz that sort of like goes along with almost like a wah, wah, wah kind of thing. And he moves into the next scene. And uh, as opposed to more of that hard hitting, you know, this is the, the cutoff. Do you want me to play that? Sure. Kind of a bear, actually. It's a raccoon. Raccoon. With a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Maybe you fed it too much cholesterol. And then I don't have it all, but it's a no, 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 Sort of does that fade out to, uh, to the erratic neighbor. And Kolshak's still missing the game, of course, which I, that was the funniest thread throughout this thing for me is him just the updates on the game that we're getting as, hey, you know, you're still missing the game, Kolshak, and it's nowhere in sight, basically. You're still focusing on the uh, the baseball, right? Oh, I love the baseball. It's funny because they perfect, like, Kolshak's like, and he's driving erratic because, you know, he's trying to get everything done. So he talks to this crazy neighbor, of course. It reminded me of the lady with the telescope, sort of, because he's real hyper-focused. Like, he said he was listening mm-hmm. to a stereo Everything and it got ripped out of office. What did he say? It got ripped out of his house while he was listening. Didn't see anything. He didn't know that it ripped it off his ears or something. I just thought right. he was re- really right. well played. Yeah, yeah, and he kept. I think the the neighbor's name was Henry, maybe. Yeah. And uh, Dick Van Patten is the, the the guy who's in that scene, and he keeps yelling it back and forth. And <laughs> but I I loved when he says that you know the the, the crews came in to try to fix. All, all the the issues that they had there, he just called them idiots. Like they came in, those idiots, and you know, typical of what someone would say who's uh, you know, not happy with the work that a city crew comes in and does to try to fix something. My my favorite lines when he's talking about the lady across the street. Mrs. Fusco lives in the house over there. Yeah. Someone killed five of her cats. Still leaves it with a dozen or so because she's one of those kind. Oh boy, does that house smell? Yeah. Almost as bad as all this gop. But yeah, that's uh that was a funny a funny scene. <laughs> Actually, little does a crazy son. Uh, that that was funny to me. I think, uh, man, I I, I don't want to really know this statistic, but you could probably take every other block at least, and there's probably somebody living in there with like way too many animals. Oh. Uh, that's I complain about my, my animals all the time. That's not me, but I can I can actually picture a couple of them really close to me <laughs> right now who are, are like that and have way too many animals. So, and yeah, that man, I don't like, we're just going to move on. Cause I don't like thinking about that. Put me in a, put me in a bad, bad head space. Make me think of hurt animals. <laughs> but, uh, so Kolshak's taking pictures of this guy, having him pose. Like, what, is, what is the purpose of that? Do you know, <laughs> just getting shots of him? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think he's just trying to do, um, you know, whatever he can do to have his pictures for his story and actually act like a reporter. That's probably something to say is that, you know, the, the, you know, that he's gathering stuff as a reporter, but a lot of those other things a reporter, a reporter would do are sort of taken out of those scenes. Uh, we you know when he's, when he's interacting with people, but, um, I thought that was a great scene with, um, Dick Van Patten. Oh yeah. And, and, and that, you know, and again, I, I loved, I did actually a long time ago when I first saw um, this episode for a second time and the discussion about the raccoon and the panda, I did look up all that information <laughs> and it has been a bit of a debate 
on what a panda is. And really, it's kind of like a mix. It falls right in between raccoons and right in between bears. And uh, But it probably is a little closer to raccoons. But you probably have scientists say, you know, one's different than the other. Well, hey, we could have a whole science. We, we just need to have a special edition podcast where we discuss, for the sake of Kolshak, a panda, raccoon, or a bear. What, ain't that what it was? Uh, maybe, yeah. In, <laughs> well, they call him a panda yeah. bear. So there, there's where the, the issues are, but, um, you know, and this, this is the funny thing is that you think about this, um, <laughs> and I, I feel, I feel weird saying it because, uh, you guys don't know this, but Bradley and I were discussing the structure of the, the podcast before we got on here. And, uh, and that's where we're talking about the infrared signatures <laughs> that were able to come through because we have. Yeah both pretty pretty strong opinions on how we want to do some things but i keep evidently in this episode want to keep talking about the structure <laughs> of the episode it's not on purpose but it's just what i'm doing but here's the thing is that this episode really has kind of like two parts or three parts to it in these original scenes of all the stuff with the animals um you know what we kind of glossed over there was that there was hydrochloric acid that was in this um, gop, this mm-hmm. goop, and it seemed to be something that was regurgitated by whatever it was that was eating it. So it had hydrochloric acid and bone marrow. And so the, whatever this thing was, it was taking the bone marrow from not just the animals, but we eventually see that it is taking it from the uh, people that it kills too. And so... Carl eventually says this in his summary at the very end. But I think what we really have here in the beginning is whatever this thing is that's doing this, it is feeding itself. That's that's the first part that's happening. And then when we move into kind of the second part of it, we find out that it's actually doing some other things and it has to do with, we call this a UFO, so I think we can give away this part, is it's going after electronic equipment. Yeah. And, and that was part of what was going on with Henry and having a stereo taken. Now, if you can take a stereo and use it to help you rebuild your ship and fly oh, yeah, away, yeah. that's pretty, that's pretty amazing stuff that I think even ET wasn't able to handle. But, um, so that's, that's where I think we go to the next part of it. And, and I don't know what, I guess the lead ingots may have been something that was going to be material for the ship. Is that what we think? For some reason, they're taking all this metal. I don't know what they need with all this metal, but they're taking any metal they can get their right. hands on. Uh, and then that was a scene where uh, just there's cops flying over cars. Like, it was nuts. It was like there were so many just – you would just see a shot, somebody like front flipping into frame over <laughs> over vehicles, a guy sliding across the top of a cop car. Just nothing happened. Like, I thought – I thought the Night Stalker, like the original movie stuff was crazy and that some of the, you know, the Ripper stuff was crazy. This, this like, and I think that sort of plays to what this episode does. It, it sort of is Kolshak to the 10th degree or the 11th, if you want to make a uh, Spinal Tap reference there. It's like Kolshak, like the campiness is really just cranked uh, on, on some of the things here. Because the Ripper actually was sort of, and I'm not going to say this episode episode didn't have scary parts, but the Ripper episode was genuinely scary in parts. This one, I never felt like there was a threat. Yeah, I just I felt like it's just the 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 special effects were pretty lame. Yeah, 
Um, and, and, and even for that time, because clearly we saw with Ripper, they were able to pull off having good special effects. And I mean, they were, you know, real effects. They weren't computer generated things. And, um, but the other thing that, um, you know, happened there with the lead ingots and all the other stuff was the fact that everybody's watches stopped. Yes. And, and, and so that was a pretty important thing because later, we notice when the police captain is giving his um, report to all the reporters, he wants to say, we plan on catching somebody here in just about, and he looks at his watch to try yes. to give a time, and he realizes his watch stopped at a certain time. And then we later see that Carl's watch has also stopped at the same time. And so there we have Carl all of a sudden realizing something that uh, is going on with these watches and being stopped and how there may be a very strong magnet mm-hmm. that has uh, been influencing these. Does that sound familiar to you at any, any way at all with a show that we really enjoy, Bradley? You know, strange enough, uh, it doesn't. Strange? <laughs> it doesn't? Yeah, it does. I thought that whenever the compass was going haywire as he's trying to find it, like that was the first thing I sort of was... I realized. Well, I, I have a little, I have a little treat. Oh, I love treats. Because I have something that I have prepared to play. So let's, let's see if I can get this figured out. Hold on. It would take a lot of energy to build a gate like this, but that's got to be what happened. Otherwise, how will it get there, right? Right. What we want to know is, do you know where the gate is? Then how do you know about the upside down? Dustin, what are you doing? Dustin. Dustin! Dustin! I I need to see your compasses. What? Your compasses. All of your compasses right now. What's exciting about this? Well, they're all facing north, right? Yeah, so? Well, that's not true north. What do you mean? I mean exactly what I just said. That's not true north. Are you both seriously this dense? The sun rises in the east, and it sets in the west, right? Which means that's true north. So what you're saying is the compasses are broken. Do you even understand how a compass works? Do you see a battery pack on this? No. No, you don't, because it doesn't need one. The needle's naturally drawn to the Earth's magnetic north pole. So what's wrong with them? Well, that's what I couldn't figure out, but then I remembered. You can change the direction of a compass with a magnet. If there's the presence of a more powerful magnetic field, the needle deflects to that power. And then I remembered what Mr. Clark said. The gate would have so much power. Disrupt the electromagnetic field. Exactly. Meaning, if we follow the compasses north, they should lead us to the gate. Ah. Okay. I have been waiting for years to be able to play that and, and talk about it. So if you didn't know where all that came from, that, of course, is Stranger Things. That is the episode where they uh, figured out that the uh, electromagnetic field that uh, maybe it is affecting their compasses maybe where will is 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 being held or captive or something like that. So it, the question that I would love to have answered at one of these points is: Did the Duffer brothers ever see Kolshak? And were they inspired by this scene? Not trying to say they ripped it off because it's a different scene and 
I'm not trying to do that, but is that a possibility? And Bradley, if it is, there is another Kolshak episode, which has an even stronger, eh, not stronger, but as strong as connection to Stranger Things um, that is very similarly done the way that the Duffer brothers do it in Stranger Things. So just wanted to throw Well, that. hey, with our track record right now, we're three for three on interviews we have asked for and gotten. I'm just going to throw one out to the Duffer Brothers, see what happens. Guys, you heard it here first. Cole Shack's Loop interviewing the Duffer Brothers next week. No, no. It, it surely will happen yeah. next week, just as long as my dog doesn't bark in the background. Uh, a little bit about the Red Sox here. They were uh, they were up 1-0 as Cole Shack is going. More baseball. I, this is going to be quick. <laughs> the last time they won since since this time was 1918. Ironically enough, they finished 84 and 78 this season, which was third in the AL East. Uh, and they last at world their most recent World Series was 2004, or the the one since 74. Uh, so neither of them were in the World Series that year. And another thing, this happens on September 2nd. The World Series doesn't happen till October. I don't know what happened. <laughs> what what? <laughs> like, do they just like? Uh, we don't really care when the World Series is. We're just going to make this episode around whatever. Um, I don't know. But Well, that's, that is that is a question. I wonder if every single World Series always started in October. Uh, well, okay, do you want me to let you, look, you want me to peel back the curtain here uh, for a little bit later? I looked at every single World Series in my research. Yeah. I've looked at every... I, I figured you would. Yeah. And there's some of them I didn't get dates on, but every one that happened in the 60s and 70s happened in October. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I just know, like, you know, for the, I mean, uh, because I'm 55, the Super Bowl didn't start until 1966. So I've always been able to say my age based on how many Super Bowls there are. And so, you you know, there is there is a prehistory to the Super Bowl that isn't there, you know, uh, for, for someone to call back on past 66. So when you think about the dates and those kind of things, was the Super Bowl always at a certain time? Yeah, blah, yeah. Blah, blah. Well, it didn't exist. That's the only reason. But no, I, I kind of figured you had looked. <laughs> so that's why I did ask. Yeah. Uh, okay, and I got another question. So, uh, you know, Kolschak goes back and sees the lady again. He tries to sweet talk her. And, he, okay, does this mean what I think it means? Uh, he's trying to sweet talk her, and he says, there's, o- there's only one thing that's a spark in a woman's eye. Or there's only one thing that puts a spark in a woman's eye. And she says baloney and he said well some call it that is that or is that i think i don't i don't think it's a direct reference to sex or anything like that i think it's just he he's trying to get her to bribe her by saying he'll take her out for a date i, I think that's what it does so you don't think baloney is a, a reference to anything uh nah i, I don't okay. think so I, it, it, I mean maybe i'd have to watch it again but i know i can tell he he is playing coy that that is clear to see, and he is trying to schmooze her into analyzing the the goop that he yeah. has, and and that's when she you know tells him she doesn't have to look at it because she mm-hmm. knows exactly what it is. Yeah, and uh, so that's yeah, but no, I think I think he was trying to because there was in the the first time that he sees her, it seems like she takes a little bit of a shine to him. And, and that's where I think, you know, he does this sort of little, again, coy line about maybe they had too much cholesterol and, you know, it goes on the way. By the way, as a big tangent, my um, exercise physiology professor told us that um, animals like lions and cheetahs and whatever who have all meat diets, 
they have examined their arteries, they don't build up cholesterol like we do, like oh. humans. <laughs> Just to let you oh, know. That's, that's cool to know. But I, I, I think I've got the mm-hmm. scoop of the century, and I, I'm surprised you didn't say this. What's up? She gets his name right. She says his name right. I don't know, Mr. Kolshak. I'm thrilled you said it. And when I saw your notes on that, I was like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. So here we have already in the third episode, someone else who says his name right, which which makes me wonder, are we going to get that? Like, maybe may, have I missed this? And there is somebody in every episode from here on out who says it correctly at least once. I'm not sure. I, I, I love that you did it, though, because that I have to add that to the list because I was bragging about how much I knew about how many people say it correctly. And uh, I have been schooled, everyone, and I'm happy to know. Well, so it's your you're the one who's got me thinking of it. So, of course, I'm going to I'm going to I'm hyper focused on it now, too. But uh, good. Uh, anyway, he goes back to INS and this it took this is probably the most research I've ever done on anything that we've ever done. And it's something stupid and trivial about baseball. The first game is over and is the fastest game in World Series history is the quote. There's no stats on what the shortest game in baseball history. They'll give you up until 1992. And they'll say, since 1992, this was the shortest game. So I went through every single World Series and I looked at every single game of every single World Series. The shortest game of any. In 67, which was the closest to this, there's one that was an hour and 45 minutes, I believe. But the shortest World Series game ever was game five in 1908 that ironically enough featured the Cubs winning the title and it was clocking and it clocked in at an hour and 25 minutes. So we know that all this happens under an hour and 25 minutes. Interesting. But anyway, interesting. All that. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, just per- perusing all your notes as you were saying all that. That's something. So we get the Malmasteen. She's you idiot. You, you did this on the infrared film. We, we have, uh, <laughs> we mentioned the infrared film there. Uh, he talks to Gordy. Donde esta? He said that. Where is it at? Or where is it? Uh, I thought I had to look that up because I'm right. not the most fluent in the... But we get Gordy the ghoul back. I love having Gordy here. Like, he's probably one of my favorite characters now. And didn't he say he wanted to do the 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 um, the pool where it was differently? He said he was going to do it now. Yeah, I want to do it on, from... I want to change it um, from... Some other, some other time. Yeah, I want to do the lottery from... Change it from birth year to time of death. What do you think? Carl's just, like, not having it. But what... <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we exactly. see a big growth in the relationship. Like the the head honcho comes in and he and he's like, Carl, you know, you can't do this. He's like, I'm gonna pull the body out. Gordy slips him the tape. Gordy slips him the tape. Man. Yeah. Well, Gordy's Gordy is on the take. You know, T A K E anyway yeah. for information. And uh, so that that was kind of neat to see that Kolshak, you know, has worked his sources and he gets his information. Yeah, we and of course we mentioned the Kolshak barging in and really laying into the captain, and probably the comedy gold segment of this week was Kolshak goes back to INS. Tony, he's ready for this. He's got he's got a, a plate out. He's got multiple plates. Son, he is ready to go, and uh, about that time he's ready to eat. Here comes Carl barging in, and, and let's let's listen in on their conversation here. Tony, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I, 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 maybe I shouldn't tell you about that now. No, 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 Carl. You got a story to tell? Sell it. You know, that doesn't bother me. Go ahead. All right. Now, electronic parts have been disappearing for the last two days all over this city. Quill tried to cover that up under national security too. Are you beginning to make the connection? No. Well, then I'll have to start at the beginning with the autopsy on the dead panda. Carl, 
Start somewhere else, will you? Tony, listen, are you, are you sure that you want me to talk about this now? Oh, yeah, sure. Cast iron stomach, Carl. Cast iron. Go ahead. Every animal that was killed at the zoo had its marrow sucked out of its bones, just like the guard at Radon Electronics. And in every case where there was a dead human or a dead animal, there was a, a puddle, a pile of a bluish, greenish, black bile. It, it, it really stinks, Tony. I mean, it's rancid, sickening. <laughs> so that was the that was that and i thought that was a great scene and then you have of course that follow-up scene where where carl goes and and he finds out hey these the men in black are here uh and they and they do all this and she's like oh i've got a i've evade my taxes and that whole situation so of course she's going to talk uh but then the, the the very next scene that i thought was funny though so after that what's that Brains. So Tony, Tony is eating brains, and he didn't realize it. So that's the good follow-up no, joke. Not exactly to that. a cast iron stomach, like he says he has. No. I think the next scene's when he goes to the um, uh, alien ab- uh, abductors or whatever it is the UFO group. Yeah, correct. And I think the next thing we've got, and and uh, there, I mean, there's some good comedy right there with the woman who is talking about her uh, abduction experience. And she makes it sound like sort of a romance novel, and yeah. you know, and her her getting felt up by a fresh, um, you know, or not getting felt up by a fresh. And you see all the other women just respond to it with like, ooh. I told him to get that extension amazing. away from me. I, I think I think that baloney joke really was. I I'm I'm going. That was both of these are phallic references. Throwing it out the, there. The, the extension for sure. And I'll, <laughs> I'll have to re-listen to the baloney one. But yeah, I agree with you. Well, how'd you like the little, uh, the, the other phraseology that they had of, um, he didn't report an opus. You know, when they talked about the guy who we have already seen, um, mm-hmm. the the person who um, had the universal language of Mathematico, we've yeah. already seen him being killed by the alien. Yeah, at Snake Rock. He goes out there trying to bang right, stuff up. right. So, and then I guess Carl, and oh, that's it. Yeah, they discuss where this location is, and that's why Carl knows to go to this particular place. Yeah, and they have the big discussion on Wormwood. It's if backwards and upside down what it says. She says it says Doom, doom Worm, and he says it's Droom Drum. But I don't think, I, I did it backwards and upside down. It would have been mer mer yeah, movie. Yeah, I think it was all just you know be, being said to show just how ridiculous these people are. But the funny thing is, is you know they, if you take the story for what it is, and you, and Carl represents the quote unquote truth, these people are all talking about their you know experiences, and we kind of believe that the woman who's talking about her experience is lying. I mean that yes. that's at least oh, yeah, what yeah. we think is happening because of how she's enjoying it so much and saying that she got a, she got an alcoholic drink, you know, of like bourbon and ginger ale. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but you know, skip ahead. Carl sees an actual freaking spacecraft. He sees a space saucer. He tries to get inside of it. He sees activity of it. Bradley, I'm going to admit to you right now, when I've watched this in the past, I think I give up at the scene when it, I have given up at the scene when they um, are at the planetarium and and the um, and Carl's idea about the 
the camera doesn't exactly work. And yes. I, I have never seen this scene with the spacecraft. This is my first time ever seeing it. Really? What? So, I, and let's go ahead and we'll, we'll bring out the, the elephant in the room here, or the spacecraft alien in the room, or the alien that wasn't in the room, I guess, if you want to say that. Yeah. Uh, the the show so far, I thought it was on track to be on par with the other shows. Truthfully, the content was mm-hmm. good. Uh, I thought it was really well done. The planetarium scene, it, it it lost me there. Like the like the the, I mean, the Evil Dead did it. Like and it's sort of kitschy, you know, sort of the zooming in on them as he's holding stuff up. But the Evil Dead also had like some pretty awesome looking zombies and and people of the dead like to make up for that for the POV point, you know, point of view shots. Uh, and up until now, there's only two victims, right? There was the, uh, the robber besides the cheetahs, of course, and the animals or whatever other animals, but there's the robber who stole the purse. Uh, and then there was the, the guy who went out to snake rock. But now like the people are just tired left and right. And you, well, I, I don't know. What did you think seen of it? The scene where the, um, the, the building explodes, and and the they see the lead ingots and there's all kinds of the policemen flying everywhere. Now we don't get the impression necessarily that they all got killed, that's for sure. But then um, this this idea that the alien and I didn't get this until I listened to Carl's um, epilogue, you know, yeah. at the end. But the idea that this is just a a space traveler, not unlike us, who stopped, you know, to get some food and repair his his car and then move on his way. I think this thing is continuing to do um you know what it's set out to do and it just it it feeds off of people and animals and whatever else. But yeah, I mean I didn't feel like the guys in the planetarium actually got killed um who were flying around now there was the one person in it that got killed. And that's what sort of alerted them. But did, were there other people that got killed that you noticed? Wasn't there two? Didn't the other guard die too? Because they, or did they just, that was a weird thing. So the one guard died for sure. Right. When they come in, that one guard's on the ground. They act like they don't see him. They go to the other guard and check him out. But he's like out on the ground. But they go to the other guard who's seated in like the theater seat. Yeah. And they yeah. check his pulse. I'm not like, sure. I'm not sure about that. It could have been, it could have been that they got killed. That's that. That's certainly possible. And and this is the funny thing. Is I remember um, a few episodes of Kolshak from when I was a really young kid. So you know there was the six year old who saw the movie. I never saw the second movie when I was younger. I just saw the first movie, and then I saw the TV series. Yeah. And like I remember scenes out of the Ripper. I remember um, scenes from this one. And one of the main things I remember from this one is that he uses his um, uh, flash on his camera to defeat the the alien. And the funny thing is, though, I have mixed that with some other TV show or movie that I have seen that also uses a flashbulb to try to stop someone. And the sound, though, is of the little bulbs that would screw into the, the little flash gun. Do you know which one I'm talking about? No, I don't. The, wasn't it the batteries that ended up being correct? The, so it really wasn't the flash that yeah. actually did it. It was it was the charging. But you're talking about it some was the charging of it that did it. And but it, yeah. so in my head, I always remembered it as this was that. But I had like superimposed this other show 
onto this Kolchak scene. So it's kind of funny what your mind does after so many years of thinking that you know what it is and seeing things. But now I want to find that other show <laughs> that used the flashbulbs. Um, cause I, it's, 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 it's such a good one. Cause you hear it, it may be another Kolchak episode. I don't remember, but you hear like these flashbulbs. Do you know what I'm talking about? The old style where you actually put a bulb oh, into, yeah, yeah. you know, the flash gun. Yes. And then that would like drop and you'd hear it drop on the, on the wooden floor and then you get another one. And that's the way this thing keeps flashing and flashing and be able to defeat whatever it is that goes after him. Um, but anyway, no, it was, I mean, this is one where the special effects really lame. And, but I got to tell you that I used to think, and this is what I was sort of leading up to when we talked about this last time about whether or not this was a good episode is I used to think this was a really bad episode. I used to just never like it at all. Again, it was mostly, I think because of the special effects, but in, in rewatching it though, I've really enjoyed the the various science fiction elements to it. I really enjoyed the scene oh, yeah, talking yeah. to the the um the zoologist um who was doing the medical examinations. I enjoyed the the comedy with Tony, um the uh interaction at the um I, I like I was bothered by the UFO people before, but I really enjoyed it this time. I screamed and laughed so hard with that Mathematico guy because I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> And uh, so, no, actually, I like it a lot more than um, I did in the past. So I'm kind of, I don't know if I'm beating around the bush, but uh, I still think it's a pretty strong episode. I almost gave it. Like when I, like I told you, when I realized he actually found the spacecraft, um, I almost gave it a 10 (laughs) because I just got Uh. so excited by that. But no, in thinking about it, I've taken it down. Okay, well, the, my main problem is all the shots that it just shows of that back part of the room where it supposedly is, there was so much cutting to that, cutting to the panel, just random knobs. Speaking. I'm like, there, this could have been a done a lot smoother. Yeah, there's a better bad. way to do this than this, just a shot of this back, because there's no, there's no shadows. There's nothing, nothing going on. And I'm like, the planet, the planetarium seems drug for me. Yeah. And I think if the, if the rest of the episode wasn't so good, uh, which even with that spaceship scene, I saw some people saying online like, "Oh, the, the spaceship once the lights go off, it's supposed to it's supposed to have shot in the space, but you can still see it in the background." I'm like, I, I watched this, and after lights went off, I didn't see it. And I imagine in 1974 on a Technicolor, you know, Magnavox TV, you're not going to notice this anyway. But I watched it in a dark room. I didn't notice it. So I think people are making much ado about nothing, but like, Oh, you can still see the ship when it supposedly takes off. And I'm like, I, I think it all has uh, to do I, with the, the resolution of what you're watching it on. Because in all honesty, when I rewatched it, um, and was watching it on my phone, I think there is a temporary time there where the lights go out and you, it's making this, this sound or whatever it is that you think it's, it's lifting yeah. off. You do kind of see it. Like I, like I didn't even know any of what you were just talking about. I didn't read anybody else say those comments, Yeah. but it is kind of what I thought. Now it's all a matter of timing. I think it eventually takes off. I, I'm, I'm, I can handle that, but. But which I, which I didn't care. And that scene was cool. You know, apart from the planetarium scene, that, that scene was cool. He drives by and did he have one of those little floating compasses, you know, that was in the liquid. Is that what burst he was driving? And then that's how he found out where the spaceship was, right? He's driving. He has that little 
You know what I'm talking about? Those traveler compasses? I do. I do. I, I don't recall. Um, I, it was hard for me to yeah, see. Yeah, that's what it is. Or that's what it looks like. Yeah. That's what it looks like. Because it looked like something, and, and it burst, and it was liquid. And I used to play with one of those at my grandma's as a kid, so that's the reason I mm-hmm. sort of recognize it. I have never seen one of those besides that, uh, which I guess they used to be a big thing. But that whole end scene where he goes, and when whenever they chase him back to the tree, that was real well. I mm-hmm. thought that actually worked. Yeah. But I think it's sort of like they did it too much. Uh. But anyway, I, I thought that this was a good episode. And then, is there anything else to talk about? I think that wraps it up. That no, tells, yeah. He has a great, one of the, an amazing monologue. One of the best monologues I've, we've heard. Very good. Uh, so far, I mean, it's right up there with the other two. Yeah, and honestly, like I, like I said before, it helped sum up the episode for me. And not that it had holes in it, but I think what he said was really good. Are you going to play that for us? Oh, yeah, I can definitely. Why, uh, that. They tried to make a little park out of the woods near Snake Rock, daffodils, tulips, but they couldn't get anything to grow. There was an area shaped like a saucer at the bottom. If you want to see it, you'll have to hurry. Our park commission decided overnight to do extensive reclamation work in that particular spot. They're filling it in with concrete. What happened? It's all a point of view, really. A traveler has a breakdown, stops to fix it, gets a road map, has a bite to eat, and goes on his way. It's happened to all of us. His traveler happened to be light years off his course instead of miles. As for me, well, I haven't heard from the boys in the sedan yet. Man, I know we're done talking about the episode, but just that in, I'm going to say, that could be like a twi- tweak that a little bit, put that in the twilight zone. I wouldn't have thought that, you know, it wasn't something that Rod Serling could say. In a Twilight Zone, original Twilight Zone mm-hmm. episode. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's really good. And one thing we didn't mention, of of course, this influenced one of the best sci-fi shows of all time. Scooby-Doo? <laughs> Probably. No, but uh, The X-Files, which I don't know why I would do that noise in my mouth and I could just easily have played it like I've played every single bumper ever. That leads us into our episode rating. Sorry, I just thought we had to. I felt obligated to mention the X Files in the same breath as Kolshak when talking about this specific episode. I, I think I think you're dead on the money because again, when I saw the the spacecraft, that I immediately thought to myself, I didn't watch this before. I'm an idiot. <laughs> now I have. But the second thought was Mulder would be so happy. He's found the spacecraft. So I really, I thought that. So, yeah. So what was your rating, Bradley? My rating was 7.5 sparkles in your eye or baloney. I guess that's what causes it. (laughs) Okay. Well, mine was 8.5 alien extensions keeping to themselves. Funny (laughs) how we both landed on the potential phallic symbols. (laughs) I, I, I didn't put anything down. I like playing off yours sometimes, okay. so that was completely intentional. All good. All good. And IMDb sends to trend, tends to trend, I guess they seem to be trending here, below us at 7.3 out of 10. So that's still relative, relatively high for this episode, though, I believe. I would have thought it might have been lower, truthfully. Quill and I weren't the only ones with watches that didn't work. Everyone that had been at Radine Electronics had the same problem. 
Question, what would stop 17 wristwatches at exactly the same time? Answer, an electromagnetic field so strong it might swing a compass needle off true north to the final truth. Well, we, we have a, a segment on here um, that we're calling Monsters and Myths uh, Meet Science and History. And we haven't really done this in a formal way so far. And and honestly, Bradley and I talked about this. There's so many things in this episode that could be talked about when it comes to science fiction. We've covered a lot of them. One is the watches and and pointing to and how they got stopped because of the magnetic power and 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 the the magnetism leading you to true north and how that's a Stranger Things thing. Obviously, the really big one though is UFOs. And what I wanted to do was just have a brief and although that's not possible. But a little discussion with Bradley. Do you believe in UFOs circling the United States or the rest of the world and people landing here? Is that something that you believe, yes or no? Uh, okay, just so nobody ostracizes me, uh, my opinions are my own. Don't represent Kolchak's podcast in any way, shape, or form. But yes, okay. I do. Okay. I do. My my um, feelings on it are pretty much the way they would always be for me. I'm stuck in the middle. Um, I haven't seen the proof. Boom. I haven't seen the proof, but I'm not saying uh, what we you know had had said, and I stumbled upon. And I'll probably stumble upon it again. Is that um, you know, um, absence of evidence does not mean evidence of absence. And, and, and really, um, I don't know. I, it could have happened. Um, I'm not going to say that it, there's no way it could have happened, as some people would strike out there and do. So I think it's a possibility. But, you know, I think you have like Neil deGrasse Tyson and, and you know, um, Dave, Stephen Hawking and all these other folks, you know, essentially say that they don't think it's possible. I think that's kind of where both those guys have landed. But, um, but you know... It, if we went from things being called UFOs to then the new terminology. Now I wrote this down somewhere. Do you remember what the new terminology is, Bradley? No, I won't conform to the government standards. I'm still going to call them UFOs. <laughs> I don't trust the government. So you don't want to call, I think, I think <laughs> I it's a better term. It's like unidentified aerial object, something like that. UAO. Yeah. I think that's what it is. So I, I I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, I mean, I mean, it's it's still essentially saying the same thing, but um, yeah. of course, then we can get into USOs as well. You you know, unidentified submersible objects, mm-hmm. which can also turn into flying objects, mm-hmm. and that's a whole. If you want to read into Christopher Columbus coming over here, seeing lanterns floating in the night skies, he's coming over. Uh, there's UFOs, b- biblical uh, UFO accounts. Got there. There's there's UFO accounts everywhere. Okay. What about that one city? They just came down and there's a UFO war over the city and nobody knows. Like it, somebody just wrote about it. This this is a whole another podcast. I can't wait to listen to you and the astonishing legends guys go through all this. What? I, and I actually do have a UFO expert lined up to do an episode just on this to talk about it one day. You know, mm-hmm. if we want to trek that trek. Oh, I do. <laughs> I do. That's it. I, I think I just uh, clicked on him to uh, follow. Him on on Twitter today. Yeah, he's an interesting follow. Mm -hmm. He's pretty good. Mm -hmm. But now we're talking about aliens. Let's talk about aliens in cinema. 
my movie picks of the week. I got three honorable mentions this week. 1997's Men in Black. Love Men in Black. 97%, 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. We mentioned this last week. Plan 9 from Outer Space. How this has a 68% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, I have no idea. And uh, lastly is Mac and Me. Have you ever heard of Mac and Me? Negative. Do you know uh, who's the guy who plays Ant? Uh, does he play Ant Man? Uh, Paul Rudd. Yeah. Does he play a child? Every time. A child in that? He plays. <laughs> no, he play. Yeah, no, but he he is. Didn't, he was a child actor, wasn't he? Growing up, uh, and he was in like the Halloween movies. But every time he ever goes on Conan O'Brien, he plays a prank on him where he will say, here's a clip from my movie, and he'll play this clip from Mac and me oh, really? of the of this wheelchair going off the side of a... It's the funniest thing. Oh. And he's done it like over 12 or four, 12, 14 years or something. He did it like continuously. But that... I lo- Mac and me is like a spoof of E.T. It's got a 4% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But I put it on here because it was... It's funny. I don't know. I just I just got a kick out of it. I get a kick out of Paul Rudd getting one over O'Connor O'Brien, who just retired recently, so... There's a apt news uh, segment. <coughs> so number five on the real picks, 1982's ET, uh, 98%. The real, uh, eat the real extraterrestrial movie, uh, not the McDonald's version. Number four, Close Encounters of Third Kind, an amazing movie, 1977, 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, Spielberg, right? And uh, number three, Alien. I like this better than Aliens, the 79 one. I think it's a better movie. It's got a 98% of Rotten Tomatoes. We could argue that all day. What we like better. This one I was surprised on. Mars Attacks is my number two, 96. I love Mars Attacks. It's got a it's got a 55% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. What do people have against Mars Attacks? I think it's just, it's just too campy. That would be, that would be, it's just a little, little, little too cartoonish. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I think I, I, I love stuff like that. But yeah, I think it's just probably just too cartoonish. And I didn't set my prerequisites here, but my prerequisites for this, there had to be aliens, and they had to be from another planet. That was like my, and, you know, UFOs were optional, but if they had UFOs, I gave them a little bit of uh, leeway. But my number one, the first alien movie of all time, A Trip to the Moon, uh, very short. You can go find this on YouTube. It's like less than 15 minutes, less than 20 minutes. But it's like the first, it's 1902. It's got a 100% score on Rotten Tomatoes. And it's fun. You know, you've all probably seen it. The, the It's the picture of the moon with the face who gets hit in the eye, who does a, the little face. Um, but A Trip to the Moon is great. I would recommend anybody go watch it. It's, I mean, you knock it out. You'll probably, you probably watch YouTube videos. Hmm. You listen to this dang podcast and it's long. It's like, you could watch this 20 times over, but I definitely recommend A Trip to the Moon. And Mars Attacks. Don't hate on Mars Attacks, people. What do you think, Robert? What do you think about these movie picks? Uh, I like I like a, a lot of the things that you've put in there. Um, I, I would agree with you that Alien, the first one, is a better movie than Aliens, but it's also a different movie. And Aliens you know, took a much more of this militaristic approach of a, the squad going in to clear the areas. And I, yeah. I, I loved it. I mean... It had a lot of just fun action to it, and where I think the original Alien though uh, was potentially much scarier. And uh, but I but I yeah great movie. And and I really enjoyed Mars Attacks. I knew nothing about it when I first saw it. And you know here I've got like Jack Nicholson I believe played the president. Yeah. And you know and then you got Kevin Bacon. 
is in this thing. And, and I just had no clue what was going on. I may have actually been doing a like six degrees of Kevin Bacon or the Oracle of Bacon. And this is where I learned about Mars attacks. I'm almost positive. That's where that's what happened with me. Um, definitely close encounters of the third kind needs to be in there. ET is a great one to put in there. I think one that was really big was actually, uh, Jeff Bridges and Starman. Uh, that's one that I think would, uh, need to be checked out by people to jump into either honorable mention, um, or, uh, move up. And that's, I don't even know the date. I just looked it up a second ago cause I couldn't remember the exact title of it. But um, that was probably in the early 90s, right? Do you do you recall much about Starman? No, I don't. I don't recall. You don't think you've seen it? I I can tell you a movie from 1902, but no, I do not know a movie. I will tell you, I will I tell you right Starman. now. It's 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. And, Good score. And wow, 1984 is when it oh. came out. And guess who directed it? Not Wes Craven. So think of the other guy. John, John Carpenter. Carpenter. Yep. Did you? Then I need to watch it. I love John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. I watch I watch all John Carpenter's movies. I'm I find new John Carpenter movies every day that I haven't seen, which you'd think I would just go and look at his Wikipedia or something, but I don't. I'm just like, oh, John Carpenter did this and surprised. Uh but I'd like I just watched Prince of Darkness recently, loved it. But did did you ever see um Gosh, this is such a, this is such a, uh, I can't put all these segues together. You may want to edit some of the stuff out, but, um, what was the, the, the older TV show that was black and white with a dad that was, was single and he had three sons and he was raising them. Was it my three sons? Um, I can't remember. I don't know. So there, there were three boys in there. There was the youngest one was then in a, a movie that was eventually done. It was called Never Cry Wolf. And it is about someone researching the caribou and the wolves population and deciding whether or not they have to kill off the wolves to repopulate the caribou. And I guess this is in Alaska, um, so, something like that. And um, that particular actor is named Charles Martin Smith. He's in Starman. It's the only reason I'm bringing this up. But Never Never oh, okay. Cry Wolf is a great, great, great movie. It is it is so good. Um, I would recommend that as a as a big tangent here. But um, why I can't remember uh, the other show that he was in. I'm sure other people are just laughing at me. I can't get it. I think it was called My Three Sons was the title of it. But anywho, um, yeah, good list. So uh, what else do we have for here? Is is that it for the week, or I think it is. Do you have anything else to I just, add? I, I I like turn my phone off to uh, indicate to me that's all there was, but maybe there is more. What else we got cooking? Hey, there's a whole section oh, down here you missed. Do you can you? There's pull? the whole Facebook uh, group and all that other kind of stuff. You usually handle all that and know what's going on. I'm clueless when it comes. No, to I was just messing with you because I know you. I know you turned your phone off, so I wanted to mess with you a little bit. You can find us. And, oh, I didn't talk to you about this, uh, Robert, and probably I need to talk to you about this. We have talked about listener feedback. I've thought about doing group episode feedback shows, which I put that in the podcast, and I didn't really talk to you about it, which I probably should have, being a good co-host, but I'm a pretty bad co-host, of course. Like having batches of three episodes, you know, because we have missed uh, some Ripper feedback and some 
a zombie feedback and we could just put that in us own separate episode maybe record next week or sometime yeah i think if we if we just organize it to know exactly what the quantity is and it, so is it three would yes. it be three episodes of us just reading what people have said well and that's what we're hoping you out there can help us with so we're just not reading from facebook all day um, you can <laughs> you can contact <laughs> us. You're recording that well, listen, the conversation this, this, we're having. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you out there, you can help us with that, guys. We need more audio feedback. Buddy, as great as Buddy is, Buddy's amazing. I actually did an interview with Buddy. Uh, you'll find that sometime in October. But we want to hear from you guys. We uh, <laughs> and Roberts then muted his mic, laughing hysterically. We are professional podcasters, in case you didn't know. And like, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Um, you can find us at Twitter at Colshack's Loop, Instagram at Colshack's Loop, Twitch at Colshack's Loop. Don't know if we ever think do anything with Twitch. We'll try one day. We got a YouTube. Got one video up there, of course. Uh, and we hope to put these up uh, there eventually. Uh, we'll see how that goes. And you can contact us. Email Colshack's Loop at gmail.com. Or you can leave us a phone, a phone message at 662-374-0778. Uh, two to three minutes there. I'm going to cut you off. Just call back. We'll fix it and post. It'll be like one continuous call. Uh, you can support us at patreon.com slash Loop. Uh, don't forget about that Jeff Wright scholarship we're working on. And we're just, that train's still moving forward. Seems like we're picking up steam every day on that. And uh, yeah, that's all I've got as far as plugs go. Thank you for all that. Hopefully, hopefully you'll edit out a lot of the comments I said as we were as you were going through that because I thought we were just discussing what we we're gonna do. Um, yeah, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, there there is a beautiful post that um, Mark Twizziak has put out there that is a tribute to Jeff Rice. Um, it, yes. You know, starts off yes, with essentially yes. six years ago, uh, my best friend passed away. And then Mark goes on and says some, some more things about it. And, um, you know, we, we still have in, in our mind, and, and this is probably something we've got to um, jump on to, too, um, it, sooner than later, is, again, this um, Jeff Rice Memorial Scholarship and how we're going to handle that. You know, the more and more I think about it, I wonder if we shouldn't also get um, Darren McGavin involved in that somehow in that name and, and uh, so I, I'm not really sure how, how we'll do it, because really those are the two big factors for me. It's the, the work that was done by Jeff Rice in creating the character and Carl um, being um, uh, interpreted by Darren McGavin. And that's really what we see. And uh, so we're, we're working on all those kind of things. But at the same time, um, we want to eventually set something up so we can start raising some money for this. And at least, at, and at the very least, in, in a year's time or so, have the first scholarship that we'll give out. And then somewhere down the road, if we have bigger things that are happening, those will happen too, and we'll see what happens with that. But Bradley, just in closing, I pictured on my dog walk tonight, as I'm thinking about Kolshak, that if we ever have a Kolshak convention, and we have, we uh -huh. have a bunch of Kolshak cosplayers... You know, in my mind, I'm picturing at least a hundred that are going to go on this scavenger hunt that I want them to go on. And we're going to play Shack, so to speak. That I want that to actually be used as footage for an eventual movie that I want to have happen. 
and I have these just bizarre, crazy thoughts that I'm thinking about the way that we'll put these Shack characters in the movie. And, and this is the image that happened to me today was thinking that they're all preparing to go for their, their little scavenger hunt, but they all have this way of, of acting sort of like a, a soldier. And we would say things like, uh, present arms, and they would take their cross and throw it up into the air so that you could see their cross. Sort of <laughs> in that Cole Shack, you know, patented photograph that we yeah, have yeah. of him. And then we would say something about, um, you know, a right shoulder, you know, harm, whatever. And in doing so, they would then take out the wooden mallet and hold it up in their hand. And so all these different calls would be ways for them to recreate the different scenes of things that Kolshak does. He can flash his camera. He can bring up the mallet. He can have a stake. He can have, um, you know, the cross that goes up in the air and all along the way. Uh, there could even be one where he tips his hat. But again, I would have a hundred cosplayers doing this all in unison. So if you want this, if you want this to be true, <laughs> then you know, uh, help help this crazy dream I have uh, survive. I don't know how you're going to incorporate that into the episode. You can feel free to take it out, Bradley. That's just my closing thoughts. Well, that, those are fun closing thoughts, and I hope. All of you can join us being the hundreds of Shacks, and uh, eventually when this convention happens. And for all things Shack, you can find us right here inside the poop. Okay, I'm going to hit stop recording.